Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to Hello Latina. It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine. And today's guest is Jasmine Ortiz, an up-and-coming artist in Miami. She was born in New York, raised in Pennsylvania, and has strong Puerto Rican and Salvadorian roots. In her latest single, 21, Jasmine makes history by becoming only the second artist approved to record their music video at the University of Miami. Second to none other than Drake, her icon. Her music video for 21 went viral and received over 1 million views in two days and continues to climb. In this episode, she gives us a little taste of what ambition mixed with determination could look like despite your age. Hope y'all enjoy this episode. It is Putin. She's a queen and she's Honduran, so I'm always like, oh, yes, my Hondurans are yes. out here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, girl, I'm so excited to meet you. I feel like when Jacqueline reached out, I started checking out your music and the things that you've been up to. And I'm just like blown away, so impressed, so in awe of you. And I'm like, yes, like I cannot wait to have her on Hello Latino. Hello Latina. Thank you. And just want to know so much about your story. And um, we always start these episodes by asking, how do you identify and why? And would love to know how do you identify and why awesome thank you um i identify as a latina um i grew up in a very puerto rican salvadoran household um we were pretty much the only latinos in my neighborhood so it was a lot of kind of sticking to the roots that i had with my family and other members of my community um that we bonded with because we were like the only ones <laughs> so oh that was definitely gosh. a huge part of my childhood it was my family and like one other Puerto Rican family. And we really, really bonded because of that. <laughs> you stuck together. And that's what I love about Latinos is that we stick together. Even if it's like Absolutely. we're the only two in the town, like let's get together. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to. You have to. Yeah. And so curious, where did you grow up and just how was that dynamic for you? How did you keep in touch with your with your roots? So, yeah, I grew up in a small town in northeastern Pennsylvania but I'm only an hour from New York City, an hour from Philadelphia. So it wasn't completely in the middle of nowhere. I was able to get out and really experience um, different cultures in the cities that I was near. But everyday life in my town was interesting because it wasn't until I got to high school that there was really any diversity around me. Um, maybe there were a couple other families, but it really wasn't like this community that I found when I went to college because now I go to school in Miami. And now I'm living between Miami and Los Angeles, which are both very Latina cities or yeah. Latino cities. So I love being around my culture. I love being able to find Caribbean food wherever I go around here yeah. or Mexican <laughs> food in L.A. Like it just it's a really good feeling um, being surrounded by that. But my upbringing was very different. So it definitely taught me to appreciate um, my family and, you know, how I was raised. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, shout out. Big shout out to your family. But. I want to I want to dive deeper into you growing up because I'm I don't know what it's like to grow up in a in a different environment. I know what it's like to be in different spaces where you're like literally the only person that looks different and talks different. And so I understand yeah. it from that standpoint. What is it like to grow up as the one of two Puerto Rican families in this like I assume it's a Caucasian town or white town. Yeah, very white for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and how was that? Were people looking at you differently? Were like, how did you navigate that? It was definitely um, a lot of internal conflict of like kind of finding my place in that world just because I was the only friend that a lot of my friends had that wasn't white. So it was an interesting dynamic of like, 
having different customs, um, things that I was like used to saying or doing with my family that were not normal in like other cultures or other families. Um, and that was interesting for sure. A little bit of a culture shock. I mean, obviously I grew up in it, so I really got used to it, but I was definitely othered a lot because of it. And like I was asked if I was siblings with the only other kids in school who had my last name or these. And I'm just like, you're not asking Smiths if if they're related. You know what I mean? So it's right. It was there. It was a series of microaggressions throughout my whole childhood that I didn't realize weren't normal until I moved to a more diverse place. Oh, my gosh. And it's that weird. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and we were talking about how sometimes you don't even realize you were going through these microaggressions. You don't realize you were going through X, Y, Z until you're out of it. And you're like, you start to put names to these things that were happening. And you're like, yeah, oh, like, oh, that was a little problematic. Like, <laughs> Yeah, a yeah. lot was very problematic. I mean, my neighbors on both sides are vehemently racist. <laughs> so it Whoa. was just a matter of like, fielding comments that I won't really repeat just because of the nature of them and kind of having conversations that were really uncomfortable because of their ignorance and really just them not understanding that we come in all shapes and sizes and colors and we can be from any um, country background, you know, and still be Latinos. You know, I feel like a lot of um, Americans just have this idea of what a Latina is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to speak, um, what we are supposed to associate with. And I feel like this happens to a lot of minority groups, just kind of being put into a box. And that is something that I definitely faced a lot. Oh my gosh, it's being put in a box and it's trying to find your way out of the box, right? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I think for me, there was a moment in my life where I'm like, well, I have to do all these things or else people are going to question my identity, right? And it's it's really, it's interesting. You kind of put yourself in a box because you don't want to feel othered by your own community, which is like, it goes both ways. I felt that. I felt that so immensely because like, Mm. you're kind of, you feel conflicted if you do or if you don't. Um, There's a lot of things where I would go into the city, into New York, and I would like, meet other like New Yorkans and just kind of like have that dynamic and it was completely different than meeting other Latinos who lived in the suburbs and other Latinos who like are literally like kind of back and forth between their home country it's like every kind of um geographical distinction definitely makes a difference in like how you relate to your culture and then how you can be othered by it and if you don't check off certain boxes then you might not be accepted in your own community and you're certainly not accepted in the white community either oh my god it's that it's that feeling of i i forget her name but she's a famous colombian actress she said ni de aquí ni de allá right and yeah it's kind of that feeling of like you don't really belong in this place a hundred percent but you don't belong in that space a hundred percent you're too latina for your non-latino friends you're too you're not latina enough for your latino family or friends like it's just this common okay i literally you are touching my soul right now because i have felt that <laughs> inner conflict Mm. my entire life um especially the way that people who are not latino look at you versus the way people who are latino look at you it's completely different and oftentimes you get mixed messages like literally people telling you the exact opposite things and that can be like really hard to kind of find your identity in the middle of that oh my god and that's why it's a lot of self-exploration right and really being grounded in your identity or else people are gonna identify you and make you feel a type of way about your identity and I think it's a constant practice right and I 
feel like you still have moments of it. I still have moments of it where I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm forgetting my Spanish and I'm like, dang, like my mom caught me, you know, she was like, you know, se te está yendo el español. <laughs> you know, there's different moments of where you're and, and kind of being okay with it. Like I'm gonna mess up my Spanish, but I'm gonna mess up my English too. Like I do both. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, there's definitely there's... moments where I'm like, I can't think of the word in English. Like, there's some things like, oh my, God, I don't even know. Chancla, I always say in Spanish. That just, it's, yeah. it has to be in Spanish. But it there's other to. words where I'm like, I don't find a direct translation and I grew up saying it in Spanish. So then I literally just like speak Spanglish to my friends sometimes and I expect them to understand it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Sometimes I don't know if you feel this, but on, the, on that same topic of sometimes you forget words. I don't know why the other day I was like, Durazno. How do you say Durazno in English? How do you say Durazno? And then I saw the picture. I was like, oh, it's a peach. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like in my head, I'm like, what are these words? And then you see it and then you can like figure it out. But I'm like, it's just we live in this we're both, we're both, right? We're both our culture and we're also this other identity, which I wouldn't even say, like, sometimes I think American is associated with being white, but I'm like, yeah. American culture for me is But we like, are also part of that culture too. We are also part of American culture. Yeah, but it's also kind of redefining American culture because I'm like, American culture doesn't have to be white. Like, American culture yeah. for me is like the Spanglish, you know, it's the it's the Mexican-Americans, it's the Latino-Americans, it's this like fusion of identities and fusion of cultures that, you know, sometimes I pick up, sometimes I don't. Like, I, I remember being here in San Diego, people would say, oh, you're Mexican because it's San Diego right by the border. So there's a lot of Mexican uh, folks that live here. And then I went to the East Coast and I remember someone was like, oh, are you Cuban? Are you Puerto Rican? And I was like, "Ooh, that's new. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. so it's just like we're all all of our environments are really different. And I remember like now that I think back to my childhood, I grew up in a predominantly Latino community. So black and brown folks, my school was like 70 percent Latino. We were the majority. And I remember I had a lot of Mexican friends and. It was just this dynamic, like I even felt others sometimes because they were, they would be like, oh, you say boss, like we don't say boss or like, you know, you like speak with a different accent, like we don't speak with that accent. And it's so funny because I'm still friends with them to this day. And we talk about how I would teach them about my culture all the time. Be like, hey, this is what it means to be Honduran. Yeah, no, I, I love the beauty in the diversity within our own culture. I mean, every yeah. every country, every nationality has unique ways of speaking, of expressing themselves, of cooking amazing food. Mm. Of um, that's features. that's across the board. Just, we have good food. Oh, absolutely, good food and good music. <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing how even within something that people like to lump together as being kind of homogenous, that we have so much diversity, even within our own people. So much, so much. And speaking of diversity, I know you're bicultural, Salvadorian and Puerto Rican. I want to like peel back the layers and figure out what your parents' immigration story was or your immigration story and how you kind of landed in, I think you said Pennsylvania. Yeah. And yeah, just that story. Yeah, I'm actually um, first generation American on my dad's side and second gen on my mom's side. Um, because she was born in Puerto Rico, so technically she's also an American citizen. But my dad immigrated here when he was, I think, three or four years old. Um, I believe that they came in from El Salvador, either to California or to Florida. 
And then they pretty quickly moved to New York City um, because they had some distant relatives there and they settled in Brooklyn. And my mom has an interestingly enough similar story, even though she herself was born American. My grandmother was an immigrant from Spain. So she um, moved to Germany when she was 15, met my grandfather, who is Puerto Rican. They got married really young. And he was on in Germany at an American military base serving the army as an American soldier from Puerto Rico. So then they got married. She moved with him to Puerto Rico. They had my mom. And then she moved to New York City to Brooklyn also. So it's interesting. My parents both had this upbringing in Brooklyn, New York, but never met each other until adulthood. Um, but it's also interesting because they shared so many of the same experiences growing up. They understand so much about each other's backgrounds, each other's childhoods, that I think it brought them so much closer together than had they never experienced any of those things. I think it puts me also in a unique position because I didn't grow up in the same circumstances that they did. They wanted me to not grow up in a city. They wanted me to grow up in the suburbs. Mm. So then we moved to Pennsylvania when I was one. Um, and I feel like I kind of grew up between New York City and Pennsylvania because we had so much family there. I was also a child actor. So I was traveling into the city two or three times a week from the time I was five to the time I was 18. So wow. I, I know the city so well, but I've never personally lived there. So I almost have like imposter syndrome because I'm not a real New Yorker, but I feel like I want to be. And I've always wanted Aww. to live in New York. <laughs> so um, it's interesting. My parents are both New Yorkers. Um, I feel like a pseudo fake New Yorker. <laughs> Honorary, honorary, yeah, honorary, honorary. That's a better term. Um, but I have so much love and gratitude for the city that kind of helped then launch their adult lives. Yeah. And then you came out of it, right? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and I'm in so Miami, cute. which kind of feels like full circle because I'm really connecting to my Latinidad here and being in such a Latin city after growing up completely differently than my parents did. Oh, my gosh. Well, I want to know this story. First of all, I want to touch on you being a child actor. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about that. Let's unpack. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, the story is I was like four or five and I would watch those commercials on Disney or like Kids Bop or like whatever I was watching. And I was like, that Kids looks Bob. like Just it's brought easy. Back a memory. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Unlocking those memories. But Unlocking I was like, oh, them. that looks so fun. I want to be on TV. I want to do that. So. um my mom actually had these family friends. This is like kind of a long story, but I did beauty pageants when I was like four and five. Mm. And I won the second year that I did it, like Miss Junior Pennsylvania or something. And through that process, I got a citation at the um, the state capitol in Harrisburg at basically the state senate. I got to meet the Congress people, everything like that. And I was five, so it was really adorable. Oh, wow. But while we were there, this person who ended up being a family friend was also getting a citation for being a really young child actor nominated for a film that was in 2006 a really popular horror movie so we met their family became like best friends since childhood and then he introduced me to his agent in new york and that's how i got into acting so then i met up with his agent um he went with me to introduce me to her and he's also six years old at the time by the way so, oh my god i know i keep forgetting i'm like she's five she's five here yeah literally like we were five and six like the cutest little things um and i'm sitting in this big scary intimidating office in manhattan on fifth avenue like abrams artist agency um which i was signed to for all of my childhood pretty much 
Um, and I just, I met all these cool people and I was shown all these really cool things and it just made me really excited for the prospect of being able to do it. And then I was signed um, for the commercial side of things and later on moved to legit. So I was now getting sent out for feature films and things like that. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience and I'm grateful that I kind of got that through being in a beauty fashion, which is interesting. Yeah. No, I love that. Oh my gosh. And that kind of plays a role into just you being in kind of the light right now too, you know? Yeah, and definitely so- prepared me a lot to be an entertainer and to talk to a bunch of different people. And I was always comfortable talking to and working with people that were much, much older than me because I was so little when I started. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your journey to from Pennsylvania to Miami. What What's that story? And how did you get to where you are now? That, that, that story actually <laughs> correlates <laughs> to, yeah, it's, it's, I have a lot of stories, but um, that story basically correlates to my last release, my song 21. Mm-hmm. That music video kind of in a nutshell describes like how grateful I am to be here It's a love letter to my school, to my professors, to everyone who gave me the opportunities to come to this school. Opportunities that um, maybe like generations ago we wouldn't have been able to have. So I am so incredibly grateful to be a Latina in this school as a contemporary songwriter and artist because there, even though it's Miami, there are very few Latinas in the music program. And it's nice to kind of own that representation but on top of it, um, my journey was like any other senior in high school, very tumultuous, nerve wracking, auditioning, applying for tons of universities, seeing where I would get scholarships. Um, and I actually visited UM the day after Drake filmed his God's Plan music video on campus. And I didn't know this yet, but I saw Drake stickers all over the place. Like they were really like kind of promoting the materials. And I was like, why are there stickers of him holding up the U? Like, that's so random. And then someone told me he just shot a video here yesterday. And I was distraught. I was like, I missed him by one day. I was so oh. upset. But, um, but I did my audition and I was actually placed into the wrong audition at the school. They auditioned me as like a heavy metal guitarist, like instrumental major. And like, I do play guitar like that because in high school I was in a rock band and I submitted some of those videos. So that's how they got confused. But I was trying to come as a contemporary pop songwriter. So I was in the complete wrong audition. Everything I prepared went out the window. So then I leave. I start like I burst into tears on the steps. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting to this school. And then this girl comes up to us. She was a sophomore at the time. She'd graduated last year. And she was like, hey, you look really upset. What's wrong? I told her what happened. She pointed us to the room of the director of contemporary songwriting. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll give this a shot. We'll knock on his door and see what happens. He gave me a one hour long audition during his lunch break, just purely out of the love of his heart. And he's also Cuban. And I think like he really wanted more of that Latina representation in our mm-hmm. school. So he he saw me, he took a chance. He spent his whole lunch break on me and I am so forever grateful to him as well. Um, oh. His name is Ray Sanchez. He's a Dean here. He's an excellent mentor of mine. Um, And he actually created a Latin ensemble at this school because like starting with me pretty much and a couple other students, we were really the first to show interest in doing Latin music on campus. So that was really an awesome endeavor that he partook um, 
But for me, like having the synergy between it being such a Latin city and also what happened with my audition and turning it around and the fact that Drake was here in the same week, it just kind of felt like it was God's plan <laughs> for me to come God's here. God's plan. Oh my God. Yeah. I love it. Like literally he filmed the video here for God's plan. I was like, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, that was my story. And when I found out that I got in a few months later, I literally cried my eyes out in the middle of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so incredibly <laughs> grateful. And they ended up giving me the Presidential Music Scholarship, which is why I'm here wow. because they offered me the most amount of money out of any of the schools and also the most flexibility with my program, the most ownership over my education. Um, I'm also a foot fellow here, which means I didn't have to take gen ed, gen ed classes like math, science, history, because my SAT scores kind of exempted me from it. Um, and I also am able to customize my curriculum because I'm like they gave me like a build your own major. And I was the first freshman in the history of the school to do that. And I really accredit it to Dean Sanchez himself and him really believing in me, as well as Dean Moore, um, another dean of the school. And just all the professors here have been so incredibly supportive. And I'm really grateful to them. And that's why in my music video for 21, like I really show that. Wow, that's so beautiful. Now I have to rewatch it. <laughs> yes, oh my yes. God. No, that's so beautiful. And the, it's just beautiful because I'm hearing your story and it's like you took the opportunities, you know, you thought the door was closed and then you went knocking again and you're like, hey, like, let me let me do this. Right. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that he let you in and, you know, spent his lunch break on you. I think that's a powerful testament to both you and him. But you, you know, since you're here, it's really a testament to your grind, your hustle and your you're just like, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I think that I I don't want to credit that's just being Latina, but I think Latinas do a really good job of just like taking no, like I'm not going to take no, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to exhaust all my options and then we'll see, right? And then it's up to God, right? It's God's plan after that. <laughs> it is. It really felt that way. I was like, you know what? I'm at this point after getting this second chance, I'm just going to take my hands off the wheel and see what happens. And I was really happy that I did. Yeah. And so tell me about what's happened since, right? You, yeah. you released, you've been, girl, you've just been out there. You've been blowing up. And so what has, what's been God's plan for you? Like what's happened since that video was out? Thank you. Um, I mean, since I got here at school, I've really just been developing as a producer, songwriter, artist, performer. Like, I can safely say I have gained so much from being here, not just from courses, but from one-on-one personal relationships with my professors as mentors, seeing other extremely talented people around me every day, like learning from watching them do what they do so well has made me do what I do right now. You know, I, I directly, um, I directly took influence from everyone around me. So I have released a lot of songs since I've been here. Um, I think freshman year, I released Intentions. I released, um, oh my goodness, it's gonna be hard to remember. I, I've released a bunch <laughs> of songs since I've been here. Um, but more recently, I released Twenty One, Cherry on Top, Trick or Treat, Jaguar. Um, this was kind of really stepping into the new. Uh, direction for my artistry, writing mostly in English, but still keeping my bilingual um, roots in the music and still also pursuing different bilingual remixes and working with different producers who want to put that spin on it as well. I always want to keep that door open. Um, But 
with my most recent video, I was just really pleasantly surprised and grateful for the positive response that people had to 21. I think it was like a nostalgic graduation type looking back on your last four years kind of song. Um, and really the moral of it is these are the people that I want to have in my life for the next 21 years, for the next chapter after college. Um, you know, no matter where our careers take us, if we're halfway across the world from each other, these are the people I want to keep in touch with. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. I feel like your story is like this like poem, like just the way you, you tell them, I'm like, it's just a whole <laughs> like song already. And Thank I'm curious, you. where did this like love? Because you talked a little bit about being a child actor. Where did this love for being an entertainer for music? Where did this where did this come from? Is it places in your childhood that you started like you said you play guitar you know from like you were in a band and you were a childhood actor has this always been your life a part of you or when did that passion really start I would say like it has always been a part of me it was never something that was ever pushed by my parents if anything my parents both had backgrounds in the industry at certain different points in their careers and that was the last thing they wanted to get back into I kind of shoved them back in that direction um, <laughs> but since I was legitimately the first time, I think my parents realized that this was something I might be interested in. I was three and we were having dinner in Atlantic City. They've told me the story a million times. Um, <laughs> I snuck out of my high chair and ran up onto the stage in this like old 1920s era prohibition like theater. And I start like playing a melody on the piano and I'm like three. And I also like completely ran away from my parents. I mean, I used to do that all the time. <laughs> I would sneak out of like. I would sneak out of my room at night and climb down the stairs. I was a crazy kid. But um, <laughs> in this particular moment, they realized only because they heard the piano. And I'm plunking out this little melody. It wasn't like banging on the keys. It was like kind of purposeful. And then my mom, embarrassed, runs over and she had to grab me off the stage. I did not want to get off. She was like negotiating with me to get off the stage. And I was like, I want to play piano. And she's like, it's okay, we'll play piano. Like, let's just get off the stage, let's go. I'm like, no, no, I want you to get me a piano. And <sighs> I legitimately would not get off the stage until I had, like, a promise that I would be able to play piano. Taking no so, for an answer, look at you. Yeah, since you were three. yeah so <laughs> flash forward, um, it's been a couple weeks, maybe a month. I'm still nagging about the piano. She gets me a little toy piano, and I use it for a few months. It had a little recording mic. I remember this. It was yeah, it was oh a lime green so and bright blue. It was so cute. Oh and it was like God. this big, maybe had like two octaves on it. And I was like, after a certain point, I was like, no, I want to learn how to play real piano. Like this isn't going to cut it. So she finds a teacher who says she only takes kids five or older. And I'm only three and a half at this point. So the teacher's like, okay, I'll humor her. I'll give her an audition. I sit in the lesson for about 30 minutes and she was able to teach me the names of the notes and at least like what an octave was on the piano. And she came out and she was like, I don't know what to tell you, but I can't believe this. I'm going to take a three-year-old. I'm going to teach her because she has the attention span for it. And my mom was like, this lady's just trying to take my money. Let's see if she actually learned anything. Right. <laughs> so right. she showed my mom that I had literally learned like the names of the notes on the white keys and what an octave was in 30 minutes of the first lesson. And my mom was like, okay, I guess she's going to do this. Sure. And I was with her for 15 years. For 15 years? Until I graduated wow. high school. 
Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. Well, no wonder your parents tell this story all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a close family friend too. She just moved to Virginia, but she's an amazing person. Oh my God. I love that. And I love that you've kept these people so close, right? You know, like, I think that's, I, I if anything, I want the listeners to take away that there's also people who kind of help you get there along the way that are kind of like guardrails, right? Because yes, you, you're super yes. successful, super young, but it's also like these people, your parents, your piano teacher, the dean of the school, they kind of just put guardrails like, I'm going to open the door, but you're going to be the one that goes in there, right? I think there's a saying that's like, oh man, I'm going to butcher it because I always butcher these sayings, but it's, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink or something like that. And exactly. it's like that, right? You, you, you're like, in this case, the horse and you drink, <laughs> you were like, yeah, I'm gonna go for it. Like, I'm, it's like, go I'm for thirsty. It. I'm gonna do what I need to do. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But honestly, like, it really does take an army to like, make these opportunities happen to make a person ready to even accept them. And it's not just about being like, technically ready, like ready in your performance, your artistry, your skills. It's about being mentally and emotionally ready for those opportunities to come. And I feel like when I first got here, I wasn't 100% emotionally and, you know, mentally ready. I mean, I was just out of high school. I was kind of just figuring out what direction I wanted to go in. And over the past three years, I have had so much just growth and discovery of like who I am and what I actually want to do. And at this point, I feel 100% ready for whatever opportunity comes next. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. And I'm I'm so curious what where in your music and your in your life, because you're talking about being in Miami and this like mescla, right? Of Latino culture that's there. How does your identity do you feel like you've gotten closer to your identity being in Miami, being in this program, being making music? Like when when was the point in your music career where you were like I'm both, right? I'm both Latina and and American. Have you had that, you know, epiphany? Just what was that? What's your relationship to your identity in terms of your music? Yeah, actually, I have a very specific moment. It's interesting that you asked about it. Um, I was 18 and I was recording in Colombia for two weeks because we knew some family friends in Colombia who knew some producers and just like basically through word of mouth and like secondary connections. We ended up in Colombia for a few weeks and we're like, you know what? Let's just see where this goes. We're going to hear these producer songs. Nothing's really set in stone. And it just so happened that I clicked so fast with not only the producers themselves, but also the recording and writing process in the studio. It was like only my third or fourth time really doing it at that professional level. So I come in and I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, okay, I'm in a fully Spanish speaking country. I speak Spanish to a degree and I understand it fluently, but sometimes I sound like a gringa, I'm going to be honest, but yeah, you know, it's like I was able to communicate, but I wasn't as comfortable as if everyone was also bilingual, you know? So I was walking into the room kind of not knowing what to expect. And then I come out five days later and we have five or six new songs. And it was just mm -hmm. like that. Everything fell into place. And I was like, I really love writing in English and Spanish. I love connecting to my culture in this way. And it really clicked for me because it was before the bilingual movement. It was like, it was kind of in between. It was right after Despacito. So it was like right when that ball started rolling, but it's not like 
anyone else had ever tried Latin before after that. I mean, until then. Beyonce hadn't done it yet. Um, Drake hadn't done it yet. Selena Gomez hadn't done it yet. Legitimately, no one had done it but Justin Bieber. Um, so at that point, I was like, this is kind of uncharted territory. Where do I go from here? How is this marketable? Everyone told me to pick a side. Everyone wow. said, you cannot wow. do English and Spanish in the same song. I cannot tell you how many people said this to me and how they must be kicking themselves because of how the market evolved. We were legitimately four years ahead of the movement. And that to me signals like just the, the way that we were able to be intuitive about connecting to our culture, not being afraid of kind of taking the reins back and not letting mm. the mainstream market dictate what we can and can't say or how we can incorporate our language. So that was really important to me of a moment because I was like, I'm claiming my identity back. I am Latina. I am bilingual. I might speak Spanglish sometimes, but I do understand Spanish fluently. And it was just a moment for me where I was like, I can do this. This is part of who I am and there's nothing wrong with it. Ooh. And that was like a really big moment for me. Oh, snaps. I'm so happy that I asked this question. That's a, that's a beautiful <laughs> story of reconnection. And it's it's so crazy that you mentioned that because I was literally kind of thinking about my spiritual moment where I got more in touch with my Latinidad. And you went to Colombia. You're not Colombian, but you really got in touch with like you're both Latina and American. Same thing happened to me. I went to Guatemala. I am not from Guatemala. I have no family members from Guatemala. But that was the one time spiritually where I was like, okay, I'm like grounded in my identity. I am, I am both, you know, I am both Latina. I am both American. I am first generation, you know, soy de todo, you know, <laughs> it's like a little bit of everything. So it's beautiful how you went back to reconnect, right? And you don't even exactly. realize you need that. You don't realize you need that. You you're like, really don't realize it until you're there and you're like, this feels like home in a way I've never felt before. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's a feeling that is so hard to describe. And maybe you can yeah. put it in a song. But it's yeah, such a honestly, honestly, yeah. <laughs> but it's a really hard feeling to describe, right? It's like you go back to these places that, you know, whether you speak it, you know, Espanol gringa or, or or not, it's still like it's hard to believe that you feel like you fit in more in a place that's not really your own in a versus a place like here, right? Yeah. And I think for me, it's, one of the yeah. things that I, sorry, one of the things that I I thought about was. It was just kind of a moment for me where I wasn't questioning my identity because I was around people who saw me, you know, they didn't see me as La Americana, you know, they knew I was American, obviously. They didn't make me feel different, though. They were like, oh, tu papas son Honduras y este y el otro. And then like they made me feel welcomed. And I'm like, whoa, like. Yeah. And it was just, that's that's what we have. The Latinos have this like I always say we just. It's warmth. It's familiar. Oh, well, it's we like, do have a warmth. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I don't know what it is. It is. And I, I feel that way in Miami, too, because no matter where I go, they speak to me in Spanish. They already know. And, and that, that kind of recognition, I'm like, yes, like, please, like, abuelita, like, speak to me in Spanish. I'm going to order my cafecito in Spanish. I'm not going to, you know, and it, it's just a moment that I had never experienced in any other place besides Colombia and Miami. And also Puerto Rico. Um, I have a bunch of family in Puerto Rico. And it's funny that you mentioned like feeling warm and welcome and accepted because the first time, not the first time I went to Puerto Rico, but I, the first time I ever traveled there alone, 
was to visit my grandparents for New Year's Eve when I was 10. And I hung out with my uncles, my cousins, my aunts, everything. Um, and it was the first time I felt actually cared for by extended family. And I have extended family in other places, but because that extended family is so connected to our culture, I feel like it was never a moment of, I'm going to turn my back on you for someone else. No, we are right. blood. Blood is thicker than water. I am here for you through and through. I don't care if it's the first time I'm ever meeting you, but you are my blood and I'm going to treat you like you're my own child. And I had never experienced that before. And I was like blown away at 10 years old, like that this kind of deep familial connection could exist with someone that I'd only met once. Mm. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's just, it's, it's a, I feel like we just have that naturally. Like it's something yeah. that makes me proud to be Latina. Cause I'm like, I want to carry that warmth that my mom has when someone walks into the door and they're like, they like not even sitting down. She's like, ¿Qué quieres comer? You know, like, what do yeah. you want to eat? <laughs> or, I'm always offering people like food and water. And I'm like, I'm like the mom. <laughs> food is love. Food is love. I still remember this is funny memory, but I used to, I started like learning Mexican dishes and like started to learn how to make chilaquiles. So I was making it all the time because I was like obsessed with it. Oh and my God. I, I was I working. <laughs> Yes, girl. Oh my God. I'll give you my recipe. But I started making it all the time. And I had a, I was an orientation leader at my last school. And we were, if you know anything about being an orientation leader, we wake up at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder. No, I could totally see that too. But I was an orientation leader. We would wake up super early, crack it on to like get ready for the day and like prep and just do everything. Right. And every morning I would make my chilaquiles. Plus other things. I wasn't just eating chilaquiles for the whole summer. But like, you know, I'd make chilaquiles. And one of my coworkers, he would come in and he'd be like, please make some chilaquiles for me. Like, please. And it was just so funny because I would love serving him. Like, okay, I'm going to serve you. And then my other roommates would be like, well, I want some. And then I'd just be like, okay, I got y'all. Oh, <laughs> and it's like so cute. And it's so funny because like you were saying, you're the mom. It's like, we just carry that naturally. We want to serve, right? And I, I wouldn't even say that's just for women. I would say that's men and women. And, and our Latin culture is just, how can we serve? Like, can't tell you how many times my dad's gotten up and had someone else sit in his chair. Because he's like, oh, here you go. Like, you know, we all serve in these different, beautiful ways. And I'm just like, we're so dope. Like, we're so dope. Yeah. <laughs> and I, would, I was talking about this with another Latina recently. And we were saying how, our culture is different because we have a community oriented, um, you know, culture versus something like a lot of other cultures have very individualistic cultures. And a lot of the countries that we come from put community first, whether that means treating your neighbor's kids like your own or feeding people when they come to your house. But how I grew up, I saw that in my own home, but I didn't experience that in the homes of my friends. So it was very interesting to like kind of draw that contrast too. Yeah. And I'm so curious. There's so many thoughts that are popping up in my mind from the stories that you've told, but I'm curious of that paradox between Miami and Pennsylvania. Haven't <laughs> been to Pennsylvania or Miami, even though my whole family lives in Miami, but I'm so curious, what does that paradox look like for you who's experienced both? What just I'm so curious what that feels like to come from Pennsylvania to be in Miami and just the paradox of it, right? It was definitely a culture shock. Um, I know freshman year when I moved to Miami, I felt like I was finally home. 
I felt like I had been kind of out of place my whole life and like I really belonged here. Um, and now that I, I, I know it is. And I live now between Miami and L.A. And Miami still feels more like home to me. But L.A. also offers um, so many other varieties of our culture. Um, there's a lot of Central American and Mexican culture in, in um, California. And I really love getting to experience that, too. I'm personally more connected to my Caribbean culture. I grew up just eating a bunch of Puerto Rican food and this really of being about mm. that <laughs> life, about that music and being so close to New York, you're automatically kind of locked in to really um, having that Caribbean Boricua pride. But also moving to California, I'm now connecting more with the other sides of me, which have a lot of roots in Central America, like my Salvadoran side. And that's been really cool, too. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Have you ever felt like being bicultural? I always ask this question to folks who are bicultural because I'm not bicultural. I'm like 100% Hondureña, like, you know, as Central American as you can get. But for you, how has it been kind of like tapping into both cultures? You said you grew up with being Boricua, and I, I would assume, right, being in kind of like New York and Central. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. How, how did you start to kind of own both? And growing up without really your Salvadorian side, I assume, right, from what you're saying, how did you kind of start to own these are both part of me? Was it L.A.? <laughs> I think I think honestly L.A. a little bit, but my dad always wanted me to be connected to it. So I, I definitely got bits and pieces of that growing up. But, you know, like your mom is the one who really kind of yeah. rubs off the most when you're like a little girl. So I think I, I saw a lot of our culture in Puerto Rico um, through her eyes. So I, I definitely got a little bit more of that as a child. But moving into like high school and adulthood, I really wanted to connect more with my dad's perspective on things and, you know, getting into the food and the culture. And also um, his mom, my grandma, was always really influential in that way as well. She would always kind of um, give me little gifts and things that are from El Salvador. And she would always try to be inclusive of us in that way oh, that is so cute I never grew up with grandparents so I'm like whenever folks talk about their grandparents I'm like oh, what does that feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I grew up with my tío abuelo which is like the closest thing I had to a grandpa but it's yeah. just yeah I love hearing these stories of like the grandparents and how they kind of influence the culture on you as well right or influence the language the music whatever the case may be and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna be that I would need that yeah, <laughs> my mom so is cute. totally that abuelita already. Like my, my nephews come in and she speaks to them in Spanish. Some of them don't really understand her, but they're like, they try. They make an effort. Oh, that's so good. It's good but to you teach know, them young. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, kudos to your parents for teaching you. I think it's just part of the first gen, you know, identity to have your parents yeah. have that, you know, language so close to them. But it's just, it's great to to be able to speak the language and kind of understand all the sides of your culture, you know, like your, your family and your extended family, even you going to Colombia, like that too, right? Being there and being able to speak to them in the language that feels most comfortable to them, you know? Exactly. I think it's a huge sign of respect when you can go to a country and speak in their language. Oh my God. It's so, it's so like, it's beautiful, right? And I think one of the things that, I'm hearing from your your kind of relationship to Latinidad, music, all the things that you've done. 
I don't know if you feel this way. This is how I feel sometimes. And someone on my podcast once mentioned it. And ever since then, it's stuck in my mind of like, sometimes first gen folks, sometimes first gen Latinos, we kind of have this pan Latino experience. And you probably more because you're bicultural. But for example, I just said I started cooking Mexican dishes. I mean, like the people that we've had for long family friends are Guatemalan, Mexican, and Dominican. We have like so many Latinos influencing our family because those were the people we grew up around or influencing me, right? And so I I love like we cook platano as you know, your Salvadoran yes. side does too. <laughs> platano shout out. But it's also a Caribbean thing. Like, you know, it's like we and then I'm learning Mexican dishes and I'm like learning about Puerto Rican foods and I'm I almost feel like I am so Honduran, like to the to the core of me, but it's also like I have this pan Latino experience too where I like can kind of merge and adapt to these different cultures because I grew around it, you know? Yeah. And it's kind no, of, it's I, an I interesting. love that. That's so cool. No, I, I absolutely love that. And I, I definitely have um, been close to like a bunch of different uh, other Latinos. And I, I think I really enjoy hearing their perspectives, especially when they kind of grew up in either those countries or those communities. And it's cool to yeah. see kind of how we're similar and how we're different and really learning from each other. Ooh, it's that part, right? It's like there's so much that we have, I think, innately that makes us Latinos. Like we were just talking about el cariño, like that love, that warmth. I feel like there's so much that kind of unites us, that makes us Latinos. And then there's also so many like beautiful differences, even in our just country to country, but also even within our countries, right? Like I always say like my family's from the Caribbean coast and we have a lot more influence in terms of Caribbean. Like we eat seafood and hella platano and yuca and like all of these <laughs> things, right? Yes. And I then love that. like the food kind of changes as you go more inland. They eat more of this or more of that. Doesn't change drastically because Honduras is small, as El Salvador is too. Just Central America is so tiny, but and Caribbean's tiny. But like, you know, there it changes a little bit kind of like in place of where your where your country is, right? And I just think it's beautiful, too, to kind of pick apart those differences and be like, oh, that's what makes you Peruvian. That's what makes you Puerto Rican or that's what makes you Dominican. And it's like we all have that one thing that's like, this is what makes me part of that, this culture, which is just beautiful. But let's do our, our cafecito and chisme. I don't know if you have okay. your coffee. Have my little cafecito I don't. Here. I was going to make some. I didn't have time. Oh, no. it's okay. No. <laughs> It's okay. I What I like to do here is just talk about what you're up to now. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I would love to hear more about what you're up to now in terms of your music and what you're creating. And you said you're doing a lot of other things like producing and all of that, going to school. I just want to know what you're up to. It's the cheese nut part. So what are you up to right now? <laughs> and yeah, what's next for you in, in music? Here's some cheese. I'll give you some cheese. Um, basically, I just finished filming a couple of music videos right before I left LA about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And the one that's coming out next is called When It's All Done. I'm super excited about this song. It's the first video where I've ever done choreography. So it's going to be really exciting. There's some super dramatic, fun, bright visuals in this video. And they're contrasted by something that's a little more vintagey. So I think it's going to be a really, really unique vibe. And the song itself, to me, um, is basically about like toxic friendships, toxic relationships. Um, kind of looking back at these situations and saying, "Well, 
what are you really going to do when it's all done? That's mm. the, the line in the chorus. Um, but yeah, so that song um, is really exciting for me. It's upbeat. It's sassy. It has all my favorite elements of a song. So I'm super excited it. about that. That should be out end of September. Oh my gosh, that's soon. How are yeah, you feeling? I am so excited about it. I feel really <laughs> strong about this one. Um, Jaguar 21 and this song, When It's All Done, are really me stepping in a new direction um, in the rhythmic pop world, really um, asserting ownership over my artistry, um, writing about things that I really care about, things that have really happened to me. And I think that's something that's really exciting for me. I love that your song, um, when it's all done, is kind of cheesement within cheesement because it's got it is, cheesement. Yeah. And then you're talking about toxic relationships and friendships. I'm like, oh, girl, like <laughs> we all been there. And I don't I'm even okay, want to talk about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm still going through it. Still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when it's all done. <laughs> yeah, honest, honestly, honestly. Oh, my God. Yeah, we all go there. We all go through it. And I think it's beautiful that you turn these situations. And that's the beautiful part about music, right? It turns these situations that we all go through. And you're able to articulate it into a song and yeah. put it into this some, something that we can all listen to. And that's what makes songs so great. And that's what makes songs like, I can't tell you how many times I listen to songs where I'm like, yes, I remember a point in my life where I was feeling like this, like, you know, and it just kind of yeah. triggers these memories. That's beautiful. And there's so much I want to know about that song and why <laughs> you chose it. But we can move on. Maybe to the off next the air. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I, won't, I won't put you on the spot now, but that's so beautiful. So excited for that. And I, I, this isn't a question that I was like thinking about until you mentioned this like toxic relationships and friendships, but you do so much. You live between Miami and LA, literally cross country. How do you find time for all of the things that you're doing for school, for music, while also maintaining kind of your social life? How do you balance all of it? I would say it's a crazy balancing act for sure. It's very difficult. Um, but I just have really good friends and people in my life that kind of understand where I'm coming from, understand like the part in my career that I'm at right now is going to be very busy and hectic and unpredictable. Um, and whenever I reconnect with people that I haven't seen in a long time, especially close friends, it feels like no time has passed. We're able to kind of pick things back up where we left them. Um, I mean, this summer in particular, because I was so far away from everyone, I was like on FaceTime calling people like every single day. Like <laughs> it was really just a matter of caring enough to maintain those friendships and relationships, even though you can't physically be there with your friends. Um, that's what really I think matters the most to me, being able to either maintain that contact or reconnect when we are in person again. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was just talking to my I just had a birthday and I had my friends oh, happy all like over. Thank you, uh, Leo Energy. But I just <laughs> I had all my friends come and some of my friends were like new, right? People that I've met when I was in college and then my friends that I've known my entire life, like since diapers. And it was just a really we were talking about low maintenance friendships and saying like, you know, those friends, like all of my friends are like this. I'm like, you know, those friends where you're like, you don't have to talk every single day. You don't have to see each other every single day. It could literally be, I see you every couple of months. And it's like, we pick up where we left off. It's nothing. It's no hard feelings. It's no, like you didn't hit me up for this. We still tell each other happy birthday and, you know, but even like 
it's just a low maintenance where it's like we have a soul connection that's like it's unbreakable like I still love you and you know you know you love me and it's just that's a forever thing that's the non-toxic relationship I love that (laughs) and that's that's like what I'm talking about in 21 as well like not to bring it up again but like that's exactly like who I'm writing about bring it up again girl all my (laughs) all my like real life best friends are in that video like legitimately it's like it's so much fun to have the people I care about be a part of those projects too and a lot of my videos feature like my actual friends so it's something that I really enjoy Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh, girl, you're amazing. And I just hope that everyone who's listening is just inspired by your story, your grit, and just your, your creativity and finding avenues where you can do more of what you love. And I think that's what our community needs. We need more of that. And to, to kind of just highlight one thing that you said, and I want to kind of end on this note of you included your bilingual, your identity and your music before it was really kind of accepted when people were telling you, don't do that because you're going to put yourself in a box or this is not the box you want to be in or whatever they were saying to you. And you were like, no, this is who I am. And having the cojones to be that, (laughs) you know, grounded and saying, this is who I am and this is what I want to do. This is what feels right for me and aligned for me. That's like my guy. If that's not integrity, I don't know what is, you know, like it's like all the integrity and all the the bravery in the world for you to say that, right? Where it's really easy for people to fold and say, well, yeah, whatever's going to make me money, whatever's going to get me, whatever makes me marketable. Like I want that, right? So just big kudos to you. Big shout out to you. you. (laughs) And I mean, you're part of the evolution of Latino American music. And I think... It's a big thing right now, and I think it'll continue evolving. I just, I mentioned this a couple of times in the episodes, but I just watched a documentary on HBO Max, and it's about the Latin American music history in the U.S. And just from literally the guy from I Love Lucy, which he, I did not know he made music, but <laughs> he was like Cuban and he had made music. And that was the first time people in America were hearing like, you know, uh, Cuban music or Latino music from him to Shakira to, you know, Mark Anthony to J-Lo, like all of these people who have influenced Selena, you know, people who have influenced music and have brought their Latino or their Latinidad into this American world with just, and I keep going back to just, it's the bravery, it's the integrity of just being like, Let's see. Like, I let's am see who I am. This is what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I include you in that group, girl. But thank you. <laughs> thank you so and much. Let's do, let's do our closing. I know we have about five minutes. Um, so, what I like to do here is I want to do a brindis and it's our closing. So, what I want to give you is a space for you to say what you want to cheers to and say what you want to manifest for our Latino community. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I love that. I love that so much. Um, (laughs) Okay, I want to cheers to all the progress of the people that came before us that made the spaces that we're taking up today possible to even exist in the first place. And I want to manifest for our community that we will continue to take up space unapologetically, that we will continue to exist and raise our voices in spaces that historically and even currently do not want us there that we will continue to become more and more represented in non-cliche ways in media and television, and that we will continue to be incredibly successful. 
Mm, oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes to all of let's that. Go, I know. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. I know you don't have a drink, but you know, cheers. There my water. <laughs> oh, there you go. You have water. There you cheers. go. Cheers. Salud. Thank Salud. you so much. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your you. story, for being here. Thank you all so much for tuning in today and shout out to every single Latino, Latina artist making their mark on this world. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, check out my new IG page at Hello Latino Podcast. You can also follow me on IG at ojasmo4as and find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website, www.odalisjasmine.com for more information. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Nureña.